doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking, it's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is uncomfortable. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Eric Salagi. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. The world wants to hear your experiences, so get a hold of me and let's get yours on a future episode of Uncomfortable. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65. And please remember to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can. That's the main way that you, the listener, can help get this show out in front of more people. And with more people listening, that means hearing from more people with their experiences and guests like tonight. If you're interested in helping support the show, head over to patreon.com slash uncomfortablepodcast770 and check out the three levels we have there. See if anything appeals to you. Or if a standalone support is more your liking, you can do that as well through Red Circle. The links for both will be in the show notes below. If you've joined me at either of the previous Bigfoot and Brew events, it may interest you to know that we have locked down September 14th for the date of the 2024 event. Again, it will be held in the wonderful confines of Sister Lakes Brewing Company in Dwajak, Michigan. There's been a lot of discussion lately amongst myself and some of the sponsors, and we're thinking about opening this event up to some additional topics that you hear throughout the different episodes of Uncomfortable. Tentatively, the new working title for this event will be Bigfoot and Brews and Spirits 2. That's right, Spirits 2. As far as speaker goes, I have already talked to Amy Boo from the Olympic Project and a fan favorite of Archbishop Christina Rake. She has agreed to speak there as well. There's a number of other speakers I'm in talks with uh, that will round out the day. As far as tonight's guest, I can tell you that as, as imposing as a man as he looks, he is one of the kindest and most knowledgeable and well-read persons I've ever run into. Some of you may recognize him from Appalachian Intelligence Podcast Kinfolk on Patreon. 
Others of you may recognize him from the uncomfortable Discord server. And yet others of you may recognize him from the work he does with Dick and Outlaw over at the Countercult podcast. I've had the opportunity and the pleasure of hanging out with him and his lovely wife in person at the 40 and Airwaves podcast conference uh, back in October. And then after breakfast the next day on Sunday, they also accompanied us down to the Serpent Mound in Peoples, Ohio. And we just had a great time. They're great people, a lot of fun, really enjoyed the time we got to spend with them. Uh, but tonight, he is all yours. And he has brought for us some things that he practices in his daily life in the form of herb work and magic. And I assume what he means is magic with a J, not the prestidigitation. So if you will, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Matty O. Matty, welcome to Uncomfortable. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, my friend. It's good to see you again. Yeah, man, it's great to see you. Like I said, man, you look great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I've been working on it. So it is, uh, it's a work in progress, but I, I think uh, by time, <clears throat> by the next time any, uh, any of the listeners actually see me they may notice a uh, significant difference in my weight so gotta stay healthy man gotta stay healthy gotta stay healthy gotta stay healthy keep doing these shows and uh be around for my kids and my girl and and all that so yes, a, lot of, sir. a lot of things to do in life yet so maddie what have you got for us tonight man well I just I just figured I'd take this opportunity to kind of uh, share some of my own practices and beliefs here with uh, with how I do the herb work stuff. It's uh, it's not something that I've talked about before ad nauseum, so I thought this might be interesting. I've uh, I've done quite a bit of research in through some of this stuff, and I, I thought it would just be interesting to share. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to hearing from it. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so in, in my practice, it's, it's become, uh, you know, just a, just a daily, I hate to say practice again, but for lack of a better word, we'll say practice to, to incorporate the power of plants as both physical medicine and, and kind of a more metaphysical or spiritual medicine to, to just help get through the day sometimes. Okay. Um, I've, I've had some issues that I have discussed with, uh, with shadow figures and shadow people and, and just kind of my arduous journey with them just kind of constantly visiting in on me. And I find that through the power of these herbs, I've been able to, to mitigate that quite well. Um, unless there's a big booger hanging out somewhere, I typically don't get, don't get as startled and no, don't get as many um, just visitations. Well, I'm, I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we didn't dive into this um, pre-recording because I was not aware that you had had uh, been plagued with um, shadows. If you if you don't mind, 
can we can we kind of delve into that a little bit with yeah, yeah, yeah. off topic how, how long have you been experiencing that and you know i guess ultimately is is there a, is there a causation uh for for that you know is there something that you were involved with or or something that uh, led to to these things popping up on you uh, well so my my earliest experiences with these things i was quite young um and i have i've talked about it i think uh with appalachian intelligence on the powwows i was i was sleeping the the first like real instance i can remember i i was you know going to bed might have been fourth or fifth grade aged and i remember in the in the middle of my room seeing what looked like a bonfire but the bonfire was dark it it was in itself kind of just uh it was shades it was shadows and around it were figures that were cast up on the walls like shadows moving in a circle kind of evidently dancing um shadowy kind of horned figures vaguely human in shape and it was startling enough that after that point i would mummify myself going to bed so that like just my nose was poking out of my blankets um and i saw that same thing again and it was just a brief period later and where i had tinted the blanket over myself, I woke up and and it was a much smaller as if it shrunk to fit the space that I had created between the blanket and myself. Yeah. Um, Just a little baby fire with little baby shadow figures dancing around it. Really? Yes, sir. And, and like I said, that one did a number on me until I was well into my teenage years. Um, I never quite felt comfortable without having my, essentially my whole self covered in blankets, yeah. which is yeah. a large human is, is sometimes quite difficult. Um, <laughs> but, um, and it's just been, it's just been kind of a, a thing that you get used to since then. You know, I, of course at the time when I was like, Hey, I'm freaking out. There's, there's scary things in my bedroom. You know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you watch too much, watch too much TV kid, you know, yeah. Stop reading Stephen King kid, you know, stuff like that. And it's, it's just kind of ignored. So you're expected to ignore it as well. And, uh, it just kind of, it just kind of did. It kind of started to blend into the background unless there was, there were, you know, bigger, bigger shades that I would see sometimes that would really catch my attention. Um, and, and every, even now, like on the daily, we'll see shadow figures. My wife and I both in the apartment, um, we've got like a shadow cat type thing, kind of like a domestic sized cat that'll yeah. jump on the bed some nights and runs around and jumps really? on my counters and makes me think that my cat's jumping on my counter. So I'm like, hey, you turn around and get all mad and there's nothing there. And the cat's asleep on the other side of the room. So. It's it's interesting because my my one and only experience with a shadow person was you know about the same age as you, um, third or fourth grade, and I've talked about this on the show before, and it was literally a silhouette, a dark silhouette of a 
of a long, lanky, not not like overly, it wasn't disproportional, but a, a tall, um, looked like he may have had either wavy or somewhat curly hair. Um, and he was just standing at the threshold of my, my door uh, looking into my bedroom at me. And <clears throat> I always had... I I watched too many horror movies. I watched you right, know, too yeah. many too many creature features and and stuff like that. And uh, so I had to sleep with the hallway light on. And it, I can remember looking at it, and it was only myself, my mom, and my dad that lived in that house. And it was definitely not my dad. His silhouette would have been completely different. He was shorter. He was uh, much broader. And he had a flat top every day of his life that I ever knew him. And this guy had a rounded head with, you know, wavy or curly hair. And it was certainly wasn't my mom because she had curly hair was much shorter and much portlier than, than this figure was. Um, and the fact that the light was on in the hallway, you still couldn't see any glint of light on like the shoulder. You couldn't tell like clothing. You couldn't tell color of the hair, anything. It was just a, a black figure. And, uh, <clears throat> but it, it's, it's similar in the time frame that you started seeing it. I'd only seen it once in my life. Um, never had, never had the issue up until, uh, maybe about six or eight months ago while doing an episode with, um, some guests and she had been having some issue, uh, with a entity that was probably more in lines with, a um, incubus, um, because she was, she was having episodes where it was being physical with her. And after the recording was done, she saw a flash of light in the video screen like a flash bulb had gone off here in my studio at the same time i saw a shadow cast across her in the video that i was watching of them sitting there and then i saw what i swear was the head and neck of a shadow figure pop up from behind the two monitors that i have that i'm talking to you on right now less than five feet away from me and I just saw this head pop up and then pop back down. And that, that freaked me the hell out. Um, but that's the only, that's the only times I've ever had any issues with, uh, shadow people. Yeah. Yeah. That would, that freaked me out a bunch too. If yeah. I just kind of saw something peep up at me and back yeah. down. Uh, when I was at uh, the bookstore, when I was, when I was over there managing, we would, I, well, I would get, to where like I would, we would be doing the final walkthrough, closing the store, and I would see it look like somebody kind of turn a corner. Mm. And so I would chase this thing down an aisle and around the corner and be like, hey, 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 we're closed, just for nothing to be there. Yeah. And that, that was, we had another assistant manager over there that was closing one night and had like a whole table, a whole glass table display full of uh, Pokemon toys just sound off all at the same time. So we had some issues there, <laughs> you know, you'd run into cold spots and things like that, but is this something you that know? you think you've, you like <clears throat> deep down inside, you feel that that's, uh, that you are the, the impetus of it. Is it something that's, 
following you or are you just um are you just open enough that you're recognizing it in multiple places you know that's a question i often ask myself eric um i think i've been interested in this stuff for a long time and i think that my interest in it is returned you yeah. know they once they, see, is interested once in they me. see you looking at them they start <laughs> looking back right yeah. and and it's and like i said this has been one of those things i got into i got into you know the alchemy and, and demonology and things like that probably at a tender age in all reality something far earlier than i really should have and um you know, just not completely understanding what I was working with ended up working into some stuff that really as ignorant as it was, it could have very, very possibly opened up some sort of door yeah. into, into just kind of letting things tag along with me. Um, but I don't, I don't feel that I have any, any negative sh- things tied to me, at least not anymore. I feel like I've kind of, come to a point um, in my own in my own path both physically and spiritually that I've been able to, to clear a lot of a lot of that negativity out you know and of course I still have my moments where where I let the negative things get to me which kind of I feel like can open a door on its own I um, you know I, I, we just hired a, a new guy uh, maybe he might be there a month now. And, um, one of the other people I work with was training him. And apparently at some point said that I had a podcast and it was about paranormal. And, uh, he came over and walked over to me and he's like, Hey, you might want to, you might want to come over and uh, check out my house. And I was like, Hey, you know, Hey, let's get to know each other first. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not you know, walking into somebody's house. I don't know who they are. And I, you know, I continued the conversation. I said, where do you live? And he says, I live on Burke street. And I was like, just right up here. And he said, yeah. And Burke is where I built my first house. And okay. I'm like, well, I lived on forest Brook in Burke. And he's like, yeah, that's just two streets up from where I'm at. And I'm like, where do you live? And he said, I, I live in a, in a white building. It used to be a church. And I was like, oh, because when I lived there, that, that church, the name of that church, it wasn't operating at the time that I lived there. But prior to that, it was known as the first church of the morning star. Well, that's an interesting name for a church. Isn't that interesting? And what it was, was it was a satanic temple. He now lives there with his girlfriend and they have turned it into a home, (laughs) which I don't quite understand, but yeah, I don't think that's how that works. He turned his, his 12 year old daughter has been bugging him wanting to, um, wanting to do uh, the Ouija board in a couple of the rooms. And he's like, I thought that I thought maybe that'd be a good idea. Cause she shows a lot of interest in it. And I was like, 
Negative. No, no, dude. No. And he's like, why? What's the matter? And I'm like, first of all, she's not old enough to understand with whatever she comes into contact with, whether it's good or bad. I said, there's adults who are into this stuff knee deep, and they don't even understand when something contacts them, and they can't tell whether it's of a good a good nature or 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 bad i said this it's a terrible idea i said you do what you want but you know from somebody who has had experience talking to people about this i would say that's a that's a big no yeah that's a that's a big no i don't and and i'll be real real frank i don't fool with any sort of divination by any means that's a that's that's a taboo for my for myself i don't I just there's something about it that doesn't doesn't ring true in in my opinion and I understand why a lot of people do it you know and I and then I I also understand the difference between divining your own like higher consciousness or higher self or inner self trying to trying to use that to to give yourself some insight if there's something that you're trying to work on for yourself but yeah, I, you know I, I, you're I agree 100% yeah, but the the you know anything with a mancy at the end of it, you know, I'm I'm not a huge fan of. So your your necromancy, of course, which would just traditionally would be reaching out to the dead or the spirits of the dead to divine the future, or you know, to divine whatever. Really, I suppose um, bibliomancy is kind of a weird thing as well, but like even tarot or runes or, you know, uh, the I Ching coin flips, I don't, I don't mess with any of it. I think it's, if we were meant to know those sort of answers, they would be given to us. We wouldn't have to kind of pry into, into a realm of where we lack discernment to get those answers. I, I understand your point uh, quite well. And uh, I want to take a minute real quick here and apologize. It's extremely cold here, and the furnace in the studio has decided to kick on uh, while they're recording. So I'm going to continue to toggle off and on between my mic so that you guys aren't hearing that running in the background because I know it's loud. All right. No problem, man. Um, so... I guess I'll uh, I'll get into a little bit about the the herb stuff here. Um, you know, with with herb work, you kind of have to know the power of the plants, which is where it comes in handy to if you can find a find a teacher, find a, a local granny, or you know some sort of herb worker that can work on these things with you. And of course, in lieu of those things, we have some pretty decent text. Um, We've got Cunningham. He does an excellent job. He's got an encyclopedia of magical herbs, um, as well as an encyclopedia of magical rocks and minerals. Um, and I found those to be an excellent resource, along with some of the older stuff. If you can, if you can deal with sifting through uh, translations, you can get into some of like the older leech books, which can sometimes be helpful and sometimes just be funny. Um, and a lot of those are good Anglo-Saxon sources if you're looking for something that's 
going to take you in that direction. There's some ger- continental Germanic and some Scandinavian uh, Galder books or, or grimoires that'll contain almost more medicinal plant information as well as some use for the, uh, the more magical side of the plants and the physical side as well. Um, no. and that's kind of what got me into it. I, I, I want to ask, you know, like, so the, you know, your, your propensity against divination. Right. Um, so once you have the understanding of these herbs and, and what they can be used for, um, I, I understand that in the sense of, um, you know, remedies or issues, uh, helping heal. I get, yes. the, I get the medicinal part of it, but when you start to use it as a, as a part of the magic, as part of a practice, is there, is there, for lack of better words, is there a ritual that is associated with getting these things to the point where they can be a, um, a source of, um, value to you. Right. I think I understand what you're getting at. And it's in, in my practice, in my belief, I think the plant already has the power. You can enhance the power. You can, you know, some people do enchantments on their herbs when they're preparing them to get them ready. Um, before doing any sort of mixing, whether it be for incense or for a satchel or a salve, um, they'll enchant to kind of attune, especially if you're using three or four or five herbs to kind of attune the herbs together. Cause you might have a combination of things that all kind of link towards the same purpose, because that's another part. You don't want to go into this without having a clear, a clear necessity for the, the help you're seeking. And I don't think you should ever do it to, to harm another person ever by any means. Um, and I also don't believe that, that you should do magic for money because that already kind of taints your, your need or your necessity because it's a, it's in my eyes, this is kind of a gift. My, my small level of comprehension of this stuff and, and what I can do or what the plants can do if I mix them well for another person is a gift and I shouldn't be selling that. And so that's, that's another one of those taboos for me, you know, don't do harm and don't do magic for money. So I'm going to assume by that statement that, that these things can be used in a negative way. Yes. Yes, anything that has power can be used negatively. Um, I don't ever perform hexes or curses. And in a lot of sense, when you study these things historically, they're outright toxic, not just to the person you're cursing, but to the curser, cursee, the person doing the curse. Everything has a cost. (laughs) Right. If you look at uh, if you look at some Greek and Roman curse tablets, they're quite frequently made from lead, which is toxic. So you would take a lead sl- a lead slab, you know, three by four, and carve out your curse into this lead, and have to physically work this poisonous metal um, just to just to properly perform the curse, and then 
do whatever with it that you did afterwards. I'm not going to put that information out there. Um, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm interested in, I'm not trying to interrupt you, but I'm interested in the, the, the terminology that you used. You said you don't ever perform hexes or curses. And although I understand that that is, uh, within the realms of magic, um, that also is something that you come across when you're talking about somebody who may be a witch. Right. And I, not to put you on the spot, but, <laughs> but how does that differ or does it? As far as, you know, I mean, is what you do part of witchcraft? And I mean, yeah, I, I'm it, not, I'm not asking that to paint this in a bad light, but right. So far, what people have heard from you is that you do these things uh, from a, from a standpoint of having goodness in your heart and it's to help and to heal and, and to, you know, rid yourselves of, um, negative energies. So I want people to understand that, you know, yeah, we've heard about obvious bad witches, but there's also witches on this, on the side of good. And, you know, they use the earth and they use the elements and, and everything to, to do good for people. And, and I think that's kind of a hard thing for some people to wrap their head around. Yes, sir. It is. And yeah, it is very much, it could be considered witchcraft ed by anybody. And really I don't have anything against calling it witchcraft. That's just in my head. I've always called it work. So that's just the terminology I've continued with. Um, but yeah, it is very much a lot of the similar practices that you would find even in, uh, even in Wicca, uh, Cunningham, the, the fellow I mentioned, the author, he himself was a Wiccan practitioner. He I, was a solo practitioner I for a long time. I recognize that name. That's why the, the question started <laughs> coming to my mind, and I'm like, I got to ask this. Yeah, him and uh, his buddy Raymond Buckland, um, they both were Wiccan practitioners, though Buckland was much more traditional practitioner. Um, and they both have very good works. Buckland is more ritual magic. I'm not a big fan of ritual stuff. I, I'm of the belief that if I need, for whatever reason, luck, I shouldn't have to wait till yawn, full moon, and this, that, and the other. If I, if I need to do it, I should be able to do it when I need it. And that's, that's kind of one of, one of those things that's a bit different with most other practices is they want to ritualize things. And I do have small ritual type practices when I make this stuff, but I'm not doing the big ritual magic style rituals. And I don't have like a dedicated altar either because in my mind, an altar is any flat space that I can set the, the utensils and the ingredients I need out to do that work. I can anoint with some anointing oil and some white sage and purify a space to use as an altar. And often I use my kitchen counter, which is kind of where I already perform, you know, a sort of ritual when I bake or when I cook. Mm -hmm. So it's already got that kind of feel in, in me, in my heart or in my mind that this is, this is a safe place for me to do this sort of stuff. So really it can be any surface you want. That's kind of another thing that differs from a lot of the practices that you hear about from people. Well, it's interesting your your descriptors as far as you know what you what you do, how you do it, um, you know, and and there is 
there is a tendency for me to lean towards wanting to say, you know, you, you don't want to call it a ritual, but what you are doing is ritualistic in the sense that yes. you are following a, a predetermined um, pattern of, of how you do what you do. And, you know, to many people that sounds really bad, but if you're somebody who goes to church and you sit through a, a sermon, there are several parts of, no matter what church you're in, there are per- several parts of the mass that's given to you or the, uh, the, the, um, the preaching that's done that is very much ritualistic. I mean, when the, the, you know, I grew up in a Catholic church, so, you know, the priest says something to the congregation and the congregation responds with a, a predetermined response. And that goes on multiple times throughout the service. And, you know, ultimately when you reach an age where you, you can start to free think a little bit and, and look back on these things, even in Catholic church, much of what is done as far as that religion is considered, you have to consider it a ritual, Yeah, you know, and it, yeah. and that doesn't necessarily make it bad. But in order for you to get the desired response from what you're putting into it, you have to do certain things. And I guess that's me just being a little preachy. But on the other hand, I wanted to ask you, when you do these things, when you, you, you're mixing up your concoction for, you know, some guy or some, some lady to, to help with whatever the case is, um, are you calling on anything other than the the properties of the herbs themselves? Are you asking for help? Are you are you? Do you I don't do, involve. Do you get what I'm asking? Deity. You know. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think I get the gist. Yeah, I don't involve deity in any of the stuff without you know express permission from from the person. And I, cause I don't do work unless I've got the express permission of the person. Mm-hmm. And then if, you know, for, for the most part, no, I will simply bring the, bring the ingredients together, you know, whatever they may be. Sometimes I'll throw in a little like lapis lazuli for protection along with some tobacco, or maybe some yarrow and a little bit of vervain. And that's, the energy that I'm focusing on bringing together. And I don't involve anything in that beyond that because I don't want to infringe on anyone else's beliefs because we may not, we may not believe the same. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've got some, some of my polytheist friends where, you know, I can say, Hey, you know, there's a deity for this along with these herbs you're already venerating this group of deities. Like, you know, we can tie that in and maybe bolster the power some, but you have to be in a cycle of reciprocation with this deity. It's not just me that has to be in a cycle of reciprocation for this deity. So if you're not already in that cycle, if you're not already giving some sort of veneration, some sort of libations or votive offerings or something of that nature, then it's not really going to bolster it's it's does that make sense it does and and i want to ask you you know as far as the deity um 
I, I don't know anything as far as your, um, your, your spiritual affiliation. You know, I, I don't know if you believe in God or a a central creator or an extraterrestrial or (laughs) we've, we've never discussed that. Um, but I, I wonder when you, when you speak of there being a, a deity that is, um, tied to a specific type of herb or a, to a specific group of things that you're using. When you reference that, you, I would assume you're referencing uh, gods with uh, the little g, not... Yeah, yeah, little g. Okay. So now this kind of ties in, for me, your locale. So you are, you are down in near Appalachia. Um, yes, you know, yes I'm in the... The Appalachian area, sir, and and that seems to be something that <laughs> is um, still pretty prevalent in in throughout those areas. That right. that the little G gods are are still uh, around and still very viable. It does seem like we have uh, quite a healthy. Uh, quote unquote pagan. I, I try to abstain from the use, but it's hard not to anymore. Yeah. Um, the the quote unquote pagan community down here, if you can find them, you know, because a lot of people are are still kind of uh, what what they call in the community in the broom closet. Yeah. Um, and but there is a, a healthy veneration of everything from, um. You know, your Norse pantheons, even your your Roman and Greek pantheons, some of the Gallic or Celtic or Gaelic pantheons, depending on what part of Iberia slash the UK you're talking about. Um, But it it is still pretty prevalent down here. And there's also always kind of been a healthy practice of, of herbalism in the area, um, even up until you know, the 1920s, the 1930s, a lot of your, your medicine was still, you know, crude botanicals. And a lot of those came from the Southern Appalachian area, the Southeast. Now, some people may not realize that the Appalachians were initially settled because you, you were rattling off a, a good number of different um, uh, bodies of, of, of communities from, from Europe. But I mean, much of the Appalachian area was settled by, you know, people out of Ireland, right? Oh yeah. Well, you've got you've got pretty much all of your your Celtic peoples at some point or another, Scots, Welsh, and Irish, as well as Dutch. Um, you know, especially you know if you're up towards Pennsylvania, you've got deep Pennsylvania Dutch communities mm-hmm. up there, um, and you know, a wide range of the, I guess you would say Celtic, Germanic kind of Iberian cultures really did like to settle in this area. And, and it's interesting because, you know, like not to throw shade at any of those, uh, this is not, <laughs> this is not intended. The, this next statement's not intended, but you know, like if you look back at St. Patrick's day and, and the, um, the origin of St. Patrick um, you know, he was supposedly ridding Ireland of what the snakes, right? Well, the Druids, yeah. But it was it was not the snakes. It was he was ridding <laughs> that that countryside of the Druids. He, yeah. His his intention was to drive them out, 
And, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, when you look at the, the, uh, the holiday itself, you know, with the leprechauns and, and everything green and wearing <laughs> beads and all that stuff. But when you really find out the truth of the matter, um, yeah, he, he was, he was going to, to rid that countryside of, of that type of, um, belief and that, uh, that that's, I mean, that's kind of screwy that, and you yeah. know, I mean, so many people talk about, you know, especially if you listen to like Appalachian intelligence or, um, you know, shows that are in Appalachia, um, you know, it, it is, it's stunning to me to hear how many people still have that as a part of their, um, belief system in their daily lives. Yeah. And I mean, it's very, very prevalent in this area. You know, you'll have families where you've got the horseshoes above the door for to catch good luck. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got rabbit's feet. We'll put rabbit's feet on anything. We don't care what it is. We'll put it on a truck. We'll put it on a rifle. We'll put it on a key ring. It doesn't matter. It's good luck. We're going to take it with us. And it's little stuff like that that's just kind of continued, continued the same beliefs. Even like superstitions a lot of people have never heard of. Like you never give a buddy a knife. You always take like a, a penny or a dime for it at the very least, because if you if you just give a knife as a gift, you're going to cut that friendship off. Oh, wow. you know, there's never all sorts of yeah, all sorts of little things like that in this area, and I feel like a lot of those sort of things are what kind of push me in the direction to kind of take more note of a lot of this stuff that I, I a lot of it I heard growing up and just forgot by the time that I you know I got around to being like hey you know this is this is something there's something here. And we need to give that some sort of longevity before we lose it all. So I, and, assume, uh, I assume that you're you're not a transplant to that area. You 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 grew up the majority of oh, your I life. Oh, I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was born and raised in in East Tennessee. So what been about here most what, of my life? What about um, imagery or um, effigies of of the the Green Man? Well, I mean, it depends on what green man you're talking about, you know, because different people go different ways with that. You've got dryads. Um, of course, you've got pan. Everybody everybody loves pan. And then you've got uh, like Carnunos, um, which is which is a, a deity that I ascribe to. I, I've done some veneration of and I have done work with in the in the past. Um but it's under slightly different pretext than I guess what people would be used to. A lot of people associate that deity with Pan, and I don't necessarily. But, of course, you've also got, like, your wild man, more kind of 17th century UK green yeah. man, leafy guy that they put on the green bean packages back in the day. Yeah. Um, but I've never I've never felt called to the, to the quote-unquote green man in the same way. I only really try to venerate things that I feel called to work with. I don't, I don't go out trying to find, you know, extraneous deity to, to governs X. If I don't feel a pull towards that, then I don't, I don't engage if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. All right. Keep it. Let's keep it on track. Where (laughs) where are we going next? (laughs) Alrighty. Um, well, I was just kind of going over some of the, some of the basic stuff here. And, you know, we said the, the need to determine and you had brought up the, the ritual aspect of it. 
a lot of people do use spells and rituals. Um, and sometimes if it's a heavy enough need, you, it may necessitate the bolster of a spell or, or an actual, you know, ritual, ritual, ritual circle and the whole nine. Um, and then, you know, through that ritual, you can attune and enchant the herbs and bolster that power. But that's not always necessary. Um, and personally, I find that it's best to do this sort of stuff in confidence. I want to be confident in my ability. I want you to be confident in my ability and in my work, because if you're not confident in me and my ability, then it's probably not going to work for you in the first place. Mm-hmm. It does take some, in some sense, faith for these things to, to kind of actually go the way they should. And I also, there's a, there's a big part of me that thinks, which is kind of a traditional train of thought that it should be kept private. You know, a lot of the times with satchels and things like that, you were to put them in a coat pocket where nobody would know, or you were put them in, you know, sew them into the side of your britches that way nobody would know. And it was kind of a thing meant to be forgotten because that gives it time to, to kind of cook or, or ferment, if you will, if it's just forgotten, if you're sitting there thinking on it all the time, it's like, uh, you know, a wash pot never boils. Right. Kind of, kind of rhetoric there. Um, and those are, those are kind of the, the big, like the basics of the practice for myself. And as far as like what I'm into with that, you know, of course I find that this is a naturalist perspective to magic you know, again, I'm just using the energy of the plants, um, but it requires effort and it is, it is an interesting practice. Uh, it's some of it's difficult, you know, uh, incense can be a pain in the butt to make and especially stick incense, because if you don't pack it tightly, if you don't roll it tight enough, or if you put too much on the outside of your stick, it's not going to burn evenly. And a lot of this is just kind of, it's kind of like alchemy. And that's a big part of, you know, the, the interest for me, because there was this sense of, Hey, we're losing some of this stuff, but it also tied into other things that I was looking into with, uh, the, uh, the Galder at the time I was kind of very into the North stuff. When I first got into this, I was going through and, uh, kind of beginning some veneration of some, some deities from that pantheon and started to see things. There's, uh, one of my one of my favorites, and I just kind of always revisit it, is the Nine Herbs Charm, which is a Anglo-Saxon kind of Germanic Norse, very syncretic herbs charm that talks about nine herbs as if they are soldiers, and you are defeating this this worm or this serpent, this disease, using the the herbs, and you call on Odin or Wotan or Woden to, uh, to lead this army of herbs into battle against this serpent. And then of course, at the end, there is a, there is a small section where it says that Christ stood over and, and everything was calm and, and really? such and so forth. Yeah. And you'll find that in a lot of, in a lot of the leech books, um, a lot of the, Icelandic charms that you find from like a uh, Galderbulk and things of that nature are going to call on various deities alongside the Christian deities, because a lot of these things were written down post Christianization. And so instead of completely eradicating the magic, they just kind of adopted a, a Christian magic and a Kabbalist 
style tradition along with that as well. You know, there are, there are symbols that range all the way from Iceland pretty much back to your, your regular Kabbalah. If you're looking in, uh, there's a couple of gather box ones from Stephen flowers. And I think it's got some of those inscriptions. Interesting. Yes, sir. Um, now there's a lot of with with that there's a lot of stuff there's a couple of plant names there that we don't know there's no modern equivalent for them because I believe the earliest rendition is in Old English which is kind of difficult to uh, to get into um, but there's some plant names on there of those nine that we're not familiar with and that kind of got me sucked down a rabbit hole and and then I ended up looking into some of the leech books which uh, Bald's Leech Book recently had some uh, <laughs> had some internet fame with some of its crazy stuff. Because, um, you know, a lot of this medicine was the equivalent of, like, early Greek medicine. It hadn't really changed much yet. And so you had some very interesting remedies. Um, and, of course, you know, we get a lot of, a lot of the stuff that we use now. You know, garlic is pretty much good for anything. You can make a tincture and use it as an antimicrobial and antifungal. You can mash it and take it orally uncooked to help with colds, but no more than about four grams a day. Um, but you also get some some goofier stuff where there was one that I can remember where if you had a spongy growth of the eye, they would drip hot pigeon blood into the, into the growth until the growth um, went away or fell off. And so you kind of have to be careful reading into some of this stuff because it is a bit outlandish and the, you know, it doesn't quite match with the, with the modern times. You know, so, when, when you hear about remedies like that and, you know, there's, I've read some where, you know, they'll uh, more from medieval, medieval time uh, remedies and stuff like that. It almost, they sound so outlandish that I, I have to, try to kind of put myself in the position of the person <laughs> that was performing these uh healings on people and probably they were just like had no flipping idea of oh, what yeah, to absolutely do no and idea. They, they come up with the most weirdest shit that they could come up with and you know say that it worked and maybe one time out of you know that that growth actually did go away for for whatever reason but it certainly didn't have anything to do with the oh no the, blood. the pigeon's blood wasn't doing anything yeah. for it you know it might have caused it in the first place you never know um what i do with a lot of that with especially pulling information from the older sources like that i like to kind of check what modern medicinal science or just science in general has to say for some of this stuff um, I don't have access to the link anymore cause I'm not, no longer subscribed to JSTOR, but there are some studies you can pull up on, on white sage on JSTOR where they discuss the efficacy of burning white sage and white sage along with, you know, a, a smattering of other herbs can actually purify the air and, and clean bacteria out of your air and keep it clean for up to 24 hours. Really? And so... Yes, sir. Um, and those studies were done in India. Uh, like I said, unfortunately, I no longer have the links. If you uh, or any of the listeners have a subscription to JSTOR, it is on there. There were two in particular that I had looked at, and they were overwhelmingly positive, um, which kind of backs the idea of 
smudging or of burning white sage to exercise or purify an area. And so when I can kind of match these things with, you know, actual, actual modern science, I feel like that kind of helps bolster my belief in what I'm doing or, or why I'm doing these things You know, similar practices with, you know, we understand that chamomile can help with sleep. Um, you know, lavender can help with sleep. These are often what are used in sleep bags um, or even astral projection bags, which I don't fool much with. I don't like that. I like to sleep in a void. I let my wife make the astral projection bags because that's what she likes to do. She likes to go to other places and goof off in her sleep. And I'm just trying to sleep without dying. <laughs> Get some rest. <laughs> yeah. You know, the apnea mask going and everything. I'm just trying to get some sleep, you know? Um, but they're, they're, as far as your wife's concerned with the astral projection stuff, um, this has always been kind of a, um, one of the things that stood out to me about that practice. And, and I'm, curious if she's ever talked about it or what her thoughts are on it um is you know like there there's some thought that you know during astral projection your your consciousness leaves your body and and travels to do whatever you do um but then there's the segment of people that believe that your spirit and your consciousness are one and the same or combined to make that up and if you do astral project that your spirit leaves your body and that could possibly result in leaving an empty vessel and an empty vessel in many cultures is a very dangerous thing to do because you could be replaced by something that was not your spirit um if you guys ever had a conversation uh, down that route and, and what are, what are her thoughts on that? If she has any, you know, honestly, I've never, I've never really questioned it, I guess, in that sense. Um, but we also, anytime we make any sort of like sleep bags or the astral projection bags, we also will throw in salt, we'll throw in iron and we'll usually throw in, you know, yarrow or sage or some other protective herb in there as well, just to make sure that it's as as safe as one can be while doing this sort of stuff. Yeah. Though that is an interesting an interesting question, and I'll have to bring it up to her, and then I'll get back to you on that for sure. Okay. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, not a problem. So where are we headed now? You're um, you're you're doing this on a, what sounds to be a, a fairly regular basis. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> so would you say that you're doing it more, more for yourself, more for you and your wife, or are you, are you actively working with other people on a pretty regular basis? I only actively work with other people when, when it's an, seems like an absolute necessity. Um, I've, I've done work for a handful of people, a couple of which you, you know, um, and I'm not going to call them out on that. If they want to, if they want to discuss it, they're more than welcome to. Um, and I've done some for some, some folks around here. Uh, we had uh, a lady who was having issues just being in her apartment by herself. She constantly felt like she was being watched. 
Um, and she had some, she had some issues with, uh, she was having some night terrors and, and some entity issues, shadow people and things like that. So I made her, uh, a protection. Well, I made her two for protection and my wife made her one for sleep and she, she did great. You know, we, we also of course recommended, Hey, you know, salt, 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 you know, we salt our, all of our thresholds. Um, so we recommended that. And of course, you know, sage the house, smudge the house, try to get everything negative out of the house, carry one of these on you privately, put one under your pillow, put this under your pillow and, and see how things go. And she responded very well to it. Uh, it seemed to do wonders for her. I've done some work for some family and a handful of friends, but really this is something that, that ended up kind of putting me in the position where I could help people. And it's not something that I'm fully used to like accepting that responsibility for in, in the sense of my community. Um, so unless somebody knows that I do it I don't necessarily, I, I haven't really ever openly been like, Oh yeah, I can, I can do that for you. I can make medicine for that for you. Unless we were like close friends. Um, can I, uh, this might put you on the spot, but can I ask you, is that because you're kind of in the shadows with it? Are you, do you, do you not necessarily want people looking at you saying, yeah, Matty O is over there saying he does all kinds <laughs> of shit with medicinal herbs and you know, he's, uh, it's, it's kind of a thing where I don't. I don't feel that I have any level of mastery to a degree where I should be recognized for, for doing it. You know, it's not something that I can, you know, in there's, there's an interesting concept that when I got into this stuff, one of the, one of the groups I was looking into, they talked about YARB doctors um, and YARB doctors are kind of the, the male equivalent of a granny. And that's kind of about as far as I've gotten, you know, cause yard doctors are going to know just a handful of things to kind of help with, with minor wounds and, and a few things for maybe some luck and some protection. And, and that's about it. That's about as far into it as I've gotten. I don't really feel like I have, I have enough of a, enough of a practice, I guess you would say kind of not unlike a doctor. This is a practice and I don't feel like I've gotten far enough into it that I should be given any, any recognition as a, as a special person or a practitioner. I'm just kind of a novice and I'm, I'm doing what I can to help people with what I'm familiar with doing. You know, if you get a bee sting, Hey, look, there's some, there's some plantain over there. You chew up that leaf and you slap it on that bee sting and it's going to take a sting out. You know, you can do that with minor cuts too. You know, little stuff like that. You know, I can give you some tidbits. I'm not a physician, but hey, this might help. You know, yeah. uh, I'm a I'm a big believer in the the you know crushed garlic and honey and and a little bit of lemon juice, and you just keep that in your fridge, and it's good for colds, it's good for flus, it's good for coughs, it's good for everything. It's cure all. You know, that's that's about as far in as I've gotten. And with the with the magical stuff, I'm really not worried about the the idea of people being like, Hey man, that guy over there, he's yeah. some sort of, he's some sort of witchy dude, he's you know, cause I'm already, yeah, you're, you're a magician, Harry, you know, I'm not having to worry about that. Cause I'm already a polytheist and a very heavily 
Christian community. So I already get looked at funny, you know, and I got, I keep some charms around my neck here. Sometimes they, they fall out of my shirt, you know? So I've had people, Hey man, what's, what's that thing around your neck? You know? And it's, oh, well, I just keep it around there. It helps scare off haints and boogers and whatnot. You know, and people are like, oh, okay, whatever you say, <laughs> brother, you know, just kind of go on, go on about their way. So it's not, it's not something in that sense I'm too worried about. It's just kind of one of those things where it's like, oh no, if, if, you know, like, I guess like I'm, I'm more concerned with the imposter syndrome. I don't ever want people to think that I have any sort of knowledge on anything to yeah. any degree, right. because then I'm like, I get like shaky and nervous and I'm like, Oh no, if I said something wrong that I've gave people misinformation, I'm evil, you know? And it's, right. So it gets to my head into, in a sense of that. The people that you have helped, you know, you said you had, you have helped a, a handful of people. Did those people find you? in a in an odd way or did you you know i mean were they drawn to you it was we ended up the the one lady my wife and i were just in a in an office we were having a conversation with some people about podcasts and it come up that you know you know it came up that we had some weird occurrences in our apartment and then there were some people in the apartment complex across from us who had, who had broken their lease and left early because the wife was some, some form of medium and was being pestered to such a degree that they just had to leave. Yeah. And, uh, and that's when this lady was like, you know, I, I really have an issues myself. And so it was one of those things where I was like, well, you know, you seem, you seem all right. I guess I, I'm, I do this. So if I, anybody ever needs help, I'm supposed to help. So I kind of just, fell into that, I guess you could say. I want to jump back to um, smudging. All right. Yeah. Sage. So, you know, saging was, was a thing that happened over in Europe. Correct. You know, they, they were doing it. And then you, you look over here and you find that, Native Americans have been doing that same same practice for a, a very long time. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems as though that that wasn't necessarily something the Native Americans or the First Nation peoples here in North America received from European settlers coming here. It's like it was already a part of their natural practices. Right. As far as I am aware, which I'm no, I'm no specialist, but as far as I'm aware, there's been some form of smudging or, or, you know, binding any particular plant together and using a bundle to create enough smoke to, to create any sort of ward or defense or, or, you know, to clear a room out type of thing. I don't think the European settlers brought smudging with them into the, into the first nations or the indigenous Americans cultures. I think that that's kind of a multicultural happenstance, you know, and it's which not to, always with sage. It's very interesting that they would, they would fall upon the same practice, the same exact thing for the same yeah. reasons, you know, <laughs> yeah, it is, like, it is how very they, interesting. How were they led to that? You know, I mean, was it, was it just a natural understanding of, you know, they were much closer than any of us will ever be to mother earth. 
Yeah. You know, yeah, it isn't green or, or nature yeah. or any of it. Yeah. It, it's, it's super strange. And I guess still on the same subject, um, from a native American standpoint, um, one of my early episodes, the dinner with a witch, um, when I talked to her, I, I had somebody reach out to me about, um, saging and, and smudging their home. Um, and I was like, I am not an expert at all on any of this stuff. I said, so I can reach out to somebody that I know would know and uses that practice in their life. So I reached out to the witch and she said that basically in order for a, a smudging uh, or saging to work would be going back to what you were talking about as far as salting your thresholds and everything was to open one uh, window or door, salt all the thresholds to the windows, to all the doors, go through the house and smudge, working your way towards that open window or door. And then once you've reached that point, then salt that, and then whatever is in there has been cast out and cannot return because of the salt across the thre- thresholds. Right, the barriers. So is is that is if is that a factual practice and is that what is practiced by most cultures that do that? Yes and no. Okay. I would I would say cuz there's evidence of, you know, you'll have especially in an older period, especially in an older uh, we'll say continental Germanic period, you would have had the primary hearth of the home and you would have probably burnt the majority of whatever herb in that hearth fire. Cause that was the spiritual center of the home. Now, as far as, you know, your Vedic cultures and, and your Eastern cultures and your far Eastern cultures, there's, I don't have a lot of expertise or even a ton of education in that department. And as far as the Americas go, uh, I've had a little bit, but not a ton. So it seems like, you know, those, those practices could very much have been varying from hearth cult to hearth cult from, you know, town cult to town cult to, to even regional, it could be all over the place. Um, but as far as in modernity, that's going to be your basic smudging practice. Um, some people don't worry so much about salting the thresholds or salting, you know, your window seals and your doors. I do because it, it helps me with my issues and, and shadows from my experience, those, those cats really seem to like thresholds and, you know, every sleep paralysis encounter I've had when I've seen an entity during those, it's been at the bedroom door or a closet door. It's never just been next to a wall in the middle yeah. of the room. Yeah. And, and so thresholds, and, and again, like thresholds are kind of one of those things that have always been kind of a powerful liminal space of in between one place and another, whether it's the inside and the outside or civilization or town and the wilds beyond town. So there's always been a sense of power with those, just like closets. Closets were often, uh, you know, a private spiritual center where, you know, people would set up altars and, and votive areas and things of that nature and do their praying in their closets. So there's kind of already a weird, 
a weird liminal space there that that yeah. could be inhabited spiritually if if given the right ability. So I saw all those <laughs> just to make sure that I'm getting as little interference in my in my daily life from you know other inhabitants because so, I don't think it's really that separate. I think it, we're all just kind of next to everything. It's just some stuff is outside of our our spectrum. Yeah. So the salting of interior thresholds as well. Yeah, I do. But, you know, I got I got a paranoia or something. <laughs> uh, and I'll use all that's that's one of the, the one things that I will kind of ritually do because I'll, I'll salt over the thresholds. But I do all the salting after I've cleared with the exception of exits, all the interior salting I'll do post. That way I don't have to worry about accidentally locking something in a room where it shouldn't be. But I'll also kind of infuse that salt. I'll use large chunks of of rock salt and lapis, and I'll sage those. And I'll kind of, you know. So you're energizing, them before you, you're energizing the salt before you even uh, place it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Trying to bolster the effects. That way, you know, maybe you can get away without having to change it once every month and you can change it once every two months or, or, you know, maybe it's just going to block out bigger nasties that way. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing depends. It's kind of like with, uh, with the satchels, a lot of folks will put lichen or wolf lichen particularly in those satchels because that, that lichen represents longevity and it bolsters, it makes it stronger, but it also makes that work last longer. It's kind of the same, same idea. I got one more question for you. And then, uh, I know you had a long day, so we'll, we'll <laughs> wrap it up for this time, but I guarantee you that we are going to work again together. Um, have you ever, have you ever had anything backfire? Have you, have you ever, had something come back at you and you were like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. You know, honestly, I can't say that I've ever had anything in, in my current workings kind of blow up in my face. Now, when I was younger and I didn't have any understanding of what I was doing, I was, you know, a teenager goofing off with, with, uh, I ended up with some copies of, uh, I'm not, we're not even going to discuss those cause I don't want to put that information out there. People don't need to look that up, but I ended up with some copies of some more nefarious, uh, new age texts. And I goofed off with those as, uh, as teenagers often do. And I saw some, some fairly negative effects as far as my own headspace. I ended up in a, in a pretty dark space Yeah, and, uh, you know, some things in life took turns for the worse. Um, and of course I don't blame that on any of those practices. This was my own fault. I engaged in this without understanding and I was already doing other dumb shit as a teenager. So like, it's not, it's not me saying that like, Oh, I ended up with this negativity because of this, this necessarily backfired but because I approached this ignorantly I allowed this thing to backfire on me. I didn't have the understanding of how to, how to use it properly or control it. 
and I shouldn't have been fooling with it in the first place, but I was, I was a cocky little shithead growing up, man. And this, this takes me right back to what I told the gentleman about his daughter living in that church of the morning right. star. I, I don't know. Don't No, You're too yeah, young. No, she's no. too young. She doesn't have any understanding. She's, she's barely able to grab with, you know, becoming a young woman, let alone all the other things. And, and just, yeah, don't no. Don't. <laughs> no, no, it's a bad idea. I get weird, and and my wife will do. She does scrying and scribe boards and things of that nature, and I don't care to be there to to help her. You know, to be there to support her when she does that sort of stuff. But even then, I'm like, all right, you know, we gotta, you know, pull a salt circle down or something. You know, we gotta make sure things are safe here. You know, and it's it's just it's something that I've always had like a weird weird taboo with man and the sagas honestly never help that because anytime a man tries to divine or interpret anything especially dreams in the sagas everybody dies the the, the he dies the, the wife dies the family dies the cows die everybody dies so like that's always just kind of reinforced my uh my taboo on that i guess yeah. well maddie you know if if anybody listens to this and i'm, I'm sure they will um, and, and they would like to maybe seek out some information from you or, or possibly enlist your help with something is, are you open to that? Is there, is there a way you'd like people to reach out to you? I, I, I will help in any way I can. Um, I will. And if I don't know, I'll direct you to somebody that does know. Um, but yeah, you can most definitely reach out. Of course, in the discords, I'm in, I'm in the hollow sky discord. I'm in the uncomfortable discord. I'm in, of course, counter cults discord and Appalachian intelligence's discord. Um, and anybody can reach out to me via there's, um, another podcast that I just started with another friend of mine, Johnny. Um, so the email for that is polytheists, pagans, heathens, pod, and that is at proton.me. You can reach me there. Um, and that's that's probably going to be the easiest place. I don't have any socials outside of the Discord. So that pod, the podcast email there and Discord are going to be the best two places. And again, he's he's in the uncomfortable Discord, so you, you, can, uh, you can message him directly there. Um, Man, dude, yeah. I've been looking forward to doing this for you know uh, since what early early October when we yeah. when we first met in person and and got on like a house of fire. So I'm thrilled, yeah. I'm thrilled yeah. that we were able to put to this put this together. I know this is a little bit on the shorter side of the episodes that people are used to hearing, but um, a lot of good stuff in it, and uh, I think I think we need to uh, I think we need to do another one here in the near yeah. future i'm excited to always i'm excited to it's been a pleasure my friend thanks yes sir thanks you know, for having me it, the knowledge that you have on this stuff is uh like i said in the intro you're you're a very well read individual and uh you, you don't look at these things from just a, a glancing point of view you you dig into this stuff and um, like you say, you you pretty much live it uh, on a daily basis. So uh, I, I appreciate your candor and 
and talking about these things and it was very interesting yeah anytime anytime and you know i do what i can and that's that's all i can do you know what i mean (laughs) as long as long as everything this is you know i I always talk about this it's like if there's good in your heart and and you're you're doing you're doing your best to do the right thing and you know you're helping people and you're you're a resource for people who need help um you know that's that's just being a good person and uh like I always say, I like to surround myself with good people, and you, my friend, are one of them. So, thank you, sir. That means a bunch. All right, friend. We will talk again soon. Yes, sir. Good I night. look forward to it. Good night. Good night. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.